All right, well, I can't think of a better way to transform a Halloween Sunday than to lift up the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus, and uh, he's what brings us together this morning. Thinking about names this week, what's in a name? Actually, quite a lot, uh, especially in the Bible. You uh, read the Bible, you realize that every name in the Bible has a meaning. Every name is significant, and those names can even reflect the character or even predict who that person will become. Isn't that kind of interesting? So, uh, you know, God shows up to a virgin named Mary, says you're going to have a son, and you are going to name him Jesus. Name Jesus means Savior. Isn't that interesting? And he will save the world from sin. His name predicts who he will ultimately become. We're in a series here at Hope on the book of Isaiah, the God we can, can trust. I don't know if you know what the name Isaiah means. It's actually pretty similar to Jesus. It means God saves. And isn't it interesting, week after week, we're seeing Isaiah talk about the salvation that God is going to bring. We even saw that last week in Steve's message. He did a great job talking about uh, king Isaiah, or sorry, King Ahaz. Uh, Isaiah comes to King Ahaz and he challenges Ahaz along with all of us to trust in the Lord. Why? Because God saves. And I just think it's amazing how even Isaiah's name, when he was born, the name he was given is ultimately going to predict the message he's going to preach. So names really do have powerful meanings, especially in the Bible. But how about outside of the Bible? The same thing happened outside of the Bible. There was a professor at NYU named Adam Alter who did a major study of names. He found that names can predict our destiny. What? Consider these examples. I, these are hilarious. Like, how can this be? Igor Judge, at the time, was the current Chief Justice of England with his colleague, John Laws, who was also a judge in the Court of Appeals. Anna Smashnova is a professional Israeli tennis player. Have you guys heard of Smash Nova? You guys heard Smash Nova? That's just a great tennis name. Uh, Lane Beachley was a seven-time world champion surfer. Derek Kickett? Are you kidding me? Australian rules footballer Stephen Robotham was an Olympic rower? What? Usain Bolt reigned as the fastest man in the world. In the 100-meter dash. There's also some negative examples. I can't believe this. Christopher Koch, who was a notorious Jamaican drug dealer. And Black Rob, no way, sentenced to seven years in prison for grand larceny. Crazy. So after all this research and study, of course, he asks what we're all asking. And, you know, is this just coincidence? Is that it? And, for example, he says... Would Usain Bolt run just as fast if his name was Usain Plod? You think? You think he'd run just as fast if his name was Usain Plod? It's interesting. Alter concludes, and here's his conclusion, researchers have shown that our names take root deep within our mental worlds, drawing us magnetically towards the concepts they embody. I think that's interesting. You know, it's interesting how our names have an incredible way of 
actually describing who we are and who we become. I was thinking about uh, names of my family members. And uh, those of you who know my wife, Angie, uh, she, she's definitely, uh, she will tell you like it is. Um, she, she's very frank, very direct, uh, honest, upfront. And her name, Angelica, happens to mean bringer of truth. Isn't that interesting? The name Brian, spelled properly with a Y, uh, do you know means virtuous or noble. And uh, I can just see that in this, um, you know, this virtuous, virtuous and noble calling I've given my life to. My daughter Lydia is named after Lydia in the Bible because it says she was a worshiper of God. And I'm really excited to see how that plays out in her life. And then Hudson, somebody said, oh, Hudson, great name. Yeah, after the river? I'm like, no, 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 no. We named Hudson after Hudson Taylor. Yeah, the great missionary to China because of the, the very special way he had of reaching people with the message of Jesus. Now, I also, I, I didn't know this. I just found this out this week. The name Hudson also means mind, spirit, and heart. And if you know Hudson, he has like all this passion. And it's like, no wonder he's so passionate. Like, passion is in his name. Isn't it, an, isn't it interesting how our names, you know, that we're drawn magnetically towards the concepts they embody, even if we don't know the meaning of our name. And so I would encourage you this week to take time, maybe do a little Google search and reflect on the meaning of your name. You may actually be living out some of the truth of your name. Check it out. Today, as we come to Isaiah, we want to reflect on the significance of some of Jesus' names. And it's pretty amazing because Isaiah is prophesying hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And yet, Isaiah predicts names. Names of the Messiah that will be fulfilled 700 years later in Jesus Christ. And some of these names are incredibly famous. Steve touched on them a few last week. And probably the most famous comes from Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is an incredible verse. This promised Messiah... Isaiah tells us, this child, this boy, this human to be born will be called. He will have the name Wonderful Counselor, what? Mighty God. El Gabor, the Mighty God. Hold on, Isaiah. Are you telling me this human, this child will be? El Gabor, the mighty God. Are you seeing it? Two chapters, chapters earlier, right, we get another name of the coming Messiah, another famous name of Jesus. Steve mentioned this one last week, Isaiah 7. Isaiah says to King Ahaz, Ahaz, ask for a sign. Let it be as high as heaven or as deep as Sheol. And you, what, does Isaiah, or what does Ahaz say? Nah, I'm not interested. He won't trust God. He refuses to trust God. Ahaz is the one who puts fear over faith. But we're going to see that reversed with Hezekiah later. 
But he refuses to ask for a sign. And, a and Isaiah says, okay, you don't want to ask the Lord for the sign? The Lord will give you a sign. Here's what it will be. Isaiah 7.10. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That's amazing. 700 years before Jesus. Here it is. Isaiah predicts it. Virgin will conceive. He will be El Gabor, the mighty God who has come to be with us, our Savior. Today we'll look at two more names from the book of Isaiah, albeit a little less famous names, but very powerful. We'll see number one, Jesus is the branch, and number two, Jesus is the banner, and how we respond to such an amazing Savior. These truths can encourage our hearts today. Isn't it amazing Jesus has this little two-syllable name? And yet he brings a really big salvation. And that's what we're going to see. He's a God we can trust. He's the song we get to sing. So if you have your Bible, would you open it up, Isaiah 11? We'll be in two chapters, Isaiah 11 and 12. So before we dive in, let's start our time with some prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for coming as Jesus to save us from our sins. And uh, we want to know more about Jesus. We want to know who he is because it makes all the difference for us. He gives us a song to sing. He gives us a reason to hope. So I pray today that we would have a greater vision of Jesus. Let him become big in our eyes. And we become small. Because you are everything. And you've done everything for us. You've given your very best. And it's amazing to see what is going to come. So help us today as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, first name we want to look at here. And Jesus is the branch. Jesus is the branch. If you have your Bible in front of you, if you look at the end of chapter 10, just to cover what came previously... Isaiah begins to describe the nations of the earth as a great forest of trees. And you can imagine these trees growing and getting taller and taller and exalting themselves above the Lord. And Isaiah prophesies that God is going to come and he's going to cut down every tree in that forest. Every nation will fall. Assyria will fall. Their fearsome enemy says... Judah is going to fall, Israel is going to fall, and nothing will be left of this forest but a field of stumps. It's quite a scene of massive devastation. And yet Isaiah has a vision in the midst of this field. And you can see the vision here in Isaiah 11.1. 1. He says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit. Is that branch a, a lowercase b or a capital B? It's a capital B, right? The capital B branch. This is the name here of the coming Messiah. From the stump of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Who? David's father, right? Who's David? King David, the great king of Israel, mighty David. 
David is the one that God made the promise to in 2 Samuel 7. From your line of descendants, a king will come. He will sit on the throne forever. That's a pretty great king. What king can reign forever must be a king that lives forever. But you might go, how's that going to happen? When all that remains of Jesse is a stump in the ground. God is going to cut down this tree and all that's going to remain is a stump. And God says, oh, just you wait. Because from this fallen stump will come a, a little green shoot. You ever seen one of those? It's just so small, isn't it? So helpless, so insignificant. It reminds you of that teenage mother who gives birth to a son. Not in a big city of Jerusalem, but in a little town of Bethlehem. That's Jesse's town, by the way. Born not in some grand palace, but in a lowly manger. Isn't that interesting? So small. So in insignificant. You could almost miss it. This is what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, of Jesus. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root cut out of dried, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And how many people today miss this little shoot from the stump of Jesse? And from him will come the salvation of the world. From him will come our salvation if we will root our lives in him. That's the significance of this little sprout from the root of Jesse. Isaiah continues his description of the branch, Isaiah 11, 2 to 3. Remember, this is 700 years before Jesus. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So here comes the, the coming Messiah. And what, what is he going to have? He's going to have the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and of might. So he's going to be wise. He's going to counsel us in some things in a pretty powerful way. What kind of things? He's going to teach us about the knowledge of the Lord. He's going to speak powerfully to us about how to have a relationship with God. Isn't that pretty amazing? That's what this coming Messiah is going to do. He's going to help us live in relationship with God. And it says that the, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. I love that. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. What a picture of Jesus and the life he lived. Isn't that incredible? 700 years before Jesus, when you come to the Gospels, we see all three persons of the Trinity at work. We have Jesus the Son. And what is his heart for? His heart is for his heavenly Father. And he ministers in the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at the baptism of Jesus and the Father saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus is there in the waters and the Spirit of God comes down and rests on him. And isn't it amazing today that Jesus sends his Holy Spirit to rest upon us when we believe in him. 
Jesus didn't just come to proclaim the truth of a relationship with God. He came to make it a reality in your heart. And the way that this becomes more than just words on a page is when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and God suddenly becomes real in a new and fresh and powerful way. That's what Jesus came to give you, a living, breathing, active relationship with God. It's the branch. Pretty amazing. Isaiah goes on in verses 4 and 5. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Isn't it amazing how quick we are to make judgments when we hear something or see something? It says, the branch will not do that. He will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Remember that little shoot? He grows up to be something pretty awesome in the world. And he will not judge by appearances. All those things that, that we see, the, the uh, political power, the celebrity and status and wealth, those will not weigh in his judgments. He will judge the earth with righteousness and justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Isaiah says he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Isn't it interesting that John picks up that same line in the book of Revelation? Revelation 19, 15, he's describing the return of Jesus Christ riding on a white horse, tattoo on the thigh, the whole thing. And he says, coming out of his mouth, is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. See, the victory over planet Earth will be won, and it will be won by Jesus. And how will he do that? Not with the sword, not with political power, but with the word that comes out of his mouth. He will reign, his gospel will go forward, all nations will come to him, everything will come under the feet of Jesus. He will have dominion over all the earth. That is our Jesus. In fact, the whole earth is transformed. Isaiah goes on in verses 6 through 9. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the, and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. I love that picture. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. That doesn't sound like a good idea to me. It just seems like a bad idea. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. But check this out. They'll neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Why? What's going to be happening at that time? What does it say? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What an amazing picture. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. Isaiah describes here. Uh, our family has a pretty crazy backyard, a lot of wildlife back there. You know, we have the, the mice, the squirrels, the bunnies, the groundhog, the deer, the foxes. Um, birds, 
I mean, what do you think got us through the pandemic? I mean, it's like uh, Animal Planet out there. <laughs> it's just, it's just crazy. All the the things that happened, and we had our kids have their binoculars, and they're looking out back there at all the things going on. Last, uh, actually, during that summer, a, a doe jumped our fence, and a baby fawn was born right in our backyard. Pretty special, and uh, it's just the cutest, littlest thing I've ever seen. And we named this little fawn Cookie, and. Uh, it just so happens, though, that the house next door, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a, a fox den. And there are quite a few baby foxes. You can put up the picture there. So there's the little fawn, and you can see the foxes playing in our backyard. That's not a safe situation for a baby fawn, right? Like, so we were worried. And thankfully, the fawn made it. But uh, the fawn that was born in my neighbor's yard this last summer wasn't quite so lucky. And uh, my neighbor knew there was a fawn born there in his backyard. And one night he hears this fawn crying out, just crying, crying, crying. He runs out, he grabs the stick, and he sees two foxes trying to tear this fawn apart. And he's like swinging at the foxes. What do they do? They turn on him. And they're like, now they're trying to come at him. And he's swinging the stick. Finally, like, he scares them off. They turn around and run away. Unfortunately for the fawn, like, the fawn survived and made it to a rescue. So no fawns, you know, lost their lives in this story. It's all good. But Isaiah tells us of a day when those animals will live at peace with one another. Can you imagine? The fox will lie down with the fawn. It's a day unlike any other day we've ever seen. Do you think there will be animals in heaven? I don't know. What do you think? Jesus is coming to bring peace on earth. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So much so that in Isaiah 2.4, Isaiah describes the peace that's coming to the nations. They'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. What a day that'll be. But here in chapter 11, Isaiah describes not the peace of the nations, but the peace that will come to nature itself. Isn't the whole earth groaning for the redemption of the sons of God? What an amazing day that will be. Isaiah 11, 6-9 says, The wolf will live with the lamb. They'll neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So I guess the question is, when, when will there be no, no more harm on the earth? When will that day be? It's a really good question. Not on this old earth. You might point to the millennium. But even even in the millennium, that's going to end with rebellion and warfare. So I think ultimately Isaiah is looking towards the new creation, to the new heavens, to a new earth, where there will be no more sin or death or suffering. We see this in Isaiah 65, verse 25. Isaiah, God says to Isaiah, see, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. 
And that gets described again in Revelation 21. So check that out if you want to look at this scene again. But Isaiah says, The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Here it is. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. Who's that serpent? He looks pretty defeated in that line. Then it says, look at this. Here it is again. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So I just want to encourage you today. Whatever story you're experiencing right now, it is not how your story ends. Your story does not end with the loss of a job. Your story does not end with a bill you can't pay. The end of the story is not cancer. It is not death. That's not how the story ends. No matter what you're going through, your story has hope. There is victory. There is salvation ahead. God has given you his Holy Spirit. He is with you in the midst of the story. This is where the story is going, towards a new heaven, towards a new earth, where there is no sorrow or suffering or or pain, or loss, or grief. Think about that. The earth will be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's that's where we're headed. That's where our story ends. It's a beautiful picture. It's the picture of Jesus being the branch. Big things come from small beginnings, don't they? So don't miss the branch. Don't miss that little shoot from the stump of Jesse. Number two, second name of Jesus. Jesus is the banner. Isaiah 11.10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. I love this description. Jesus is The banner, it's one of the names of Jesus. He is the banner lifted up above all things. Why are banners important? What do we do with banners? Well, Isaiah says the nations will rally to him, so banners get used to rally people. I found this description from the Civil War. Corporal Joseph H. DeCastro carried the flag of the 19th Massachusetts Infantry on the third and decisive day of the Battle of Gettysburg. So just down the road here, uh, years ago, talking about flag bearers, those who bore the banners during the Civil War, it said flag bearers enabled a unit to stay together amidst the chaos of battle. Seeing the flag was crucial for morale, and losing the flag to the enemy was humiliating. And as you can imagine, the flag bearer was a prime target. Defenseless but for his flag. And they tell the story of DeCastro's case in hand-to-hand fighting on Symmetry Ridge. You ever been there? He came up against the flag bearer for the 19th Virginia Infantry. And they went at it with their flags. That's a Jedi move right there. DeCastro knocked out his adversary, stole his flag, raced back to present the Confederate flag to his general and then resumed his position at the battlefront. You can see why one of the most popular songs during the Civil War was Rally Around the Flag. It's a rally point. We rally to the flag. 
flags not only are something we can rally to, but they identify us. And so, you know, who's, what team are they rooting for? <laughs> what team are they rooting for? Help me out. Eagles. How do you know? The flag, the banner. Our banners identify us. I brought a little bit of banner of my own. That's a beautiful flag. It's a beautiful flag right there. I'm already gearing up for when the Eagles play the Broncos in just two Sundays, two weeks from today. I know there's not a lot of Broncos fans in the room right now, but um, you know, there's, there's still hope to be saved. Still time. Guys, no matter what banner we rally to, no matter what team we identify with, I think we can all agree there's no banner greater or higher or more exalted than the banner of Jesus Christ. He is the name above all names. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people unto me. It's the banner of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 11:10. in that day, the root of Jesse, the branch will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. And I want to encourage you this morning because you and I are living in a groundbreaking season in the history of the world. The kingdom of God is expanding more radically and rapidly than at any other time in the history of the world. And today, we just globally now, we have 2.5 billion believers. 33% of the world, world's population. And check this out. The global church is now two times larger than it was just 40 years ago. That's pretty spectacular, isn't it? Like right now, people are rallying all over the globe to the banner of Jesus Christ. Just like Isaiah predicted, it's happening. His resting place will be glorious. According to Isaiah, this massive ingathering of the church is going to happen in two stages. And... You know, this is definitely, uh, you know, something that I would take and think about. There are two stages here. Um, somebody might see this a little bit differently than I do, and, and that's okay. Um, but first, we have the nations will rally to the banner of Jesus. That's Isaiah 11.10. The nations will rally to him. And even Paul quotes this verse. You might look in your margin or write it in there. Romans 15, 12. He saw this coming true in his own day as, as he was living on mission and people from all over the world were coming to Christ and we're seeing this fulfilled in our own day as we live out the Great Commission and we go and make disciples of all nations. The nations are rallying to Jesus. But that's just the first stage. In the second stage, we see that the Jewish people will rally to the banner of Jesus. That's Isaiah 11, 11 to 16. Just take a look at this. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean... Here it is. He will raise a banner for the nations. That's phase one. And gather the exiles of Israel. And he will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four 
quarters of the earth. Wow, that's pretty spectacular. If you keep reading chapter 11, this is a return of the Jewish people as dramatic as the Exodus itself. It really is an incredible thing. But what, what got me thinking and asking a question this week was, what does this mean? In that day, we're looking at a, a day, a future day, the Lord will reach out his hand. Future to Isaiah now. The Lord will reach out his hand, what? A second time. To reclaim the surviving remnant of his people. So, second time. That's interesting. It made me ask, what was the first time? If there's a second time, when's the first time? Some people would say, it was the Exodus. A lot of Exodus imagery here. Maybe the first time was the Exodus. But when I read the story of the Exodus, God isn't bringing out a remnant. He's bringing out everybody, right? Well, maybe it was the return from exile, 539 B.C., King of Persia named Cyrus issues a decree. It allows the remnant of the Jews to return back to their homeland from every corner of the earth. You can read about that story in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. That sounds like what we're talking about here. It sounds like that would have been the first time. So we're still waiting for that second time. We're still waiting for that moment. And even Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 11. He, he talks about uh, after what he calls the time of the Gentiles. There will be a time of the Gentile nations turning to the Lord. And then he says, after that time, there's going to be this gathering of the Jewish people who are putting their faith in Jesus, the Messiah. So much so that Paul says all Israel will be saved. Isn't that interesting? So I would encourage you to check that out. Start thinking about some of these things. What is, what is God doing in the world? We can get excited even today. You know, we see the nation of Israel, Jewish people returning to their homeland. But I think we also need to be aware of the diversity of viewpoints on this very topic. So I'm, I'm not giving you all the views today. I am kind of giving you my view, and that's, that's okay. But I want to encourage you that we don't want to be a church that majors on the minor points of eschatology. We want to major on the majors, and the major point here is Jesus is the banner. He's our rallying point. He's our cry. We're coming to Jesus. We're taking the name of Jesus to the nations. We identify with Jesus. We're not afraid to raise the flag of Jesus in our workplace or on our school campus. That's the major point here. He is our banner. He is our victory. That's the name of Jesus. And so what is our response? I love this. This is our response today. I hope you're excited. I hope you're inspired and encouraged by the truth of who Jesus is because today we want to celebrate the name of Jesus with songs of praise. It actually puts a song in our heart when we think about who Jesus is. Does it put a song in your heart today when you think about who Jesus is, the salvation he's going to bring? It does for me. I think about 21 years ago, young Brian, you know, big sideburns, got to see the pictures. On my wedding day, I was so excited to marry Angie, I wrote her a song. Truly, right in the middle of the wedding ceremony, I got up, I sang her a song. I am not singing any songs for you today. 
But I was, I was so excited to spend the rest of my life with Angie, I sang her a song. That's what Isaiah's talking about here. He is so excited about the name of Jesus. He picks up the pen and he writes a salvation song. Check this out. Isaiah 12.1. In that day you will say, here's our song. In that day, we're in that day. I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you've comforted me. That's the gospel song. That's the gospel message. God was angry with us, but through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, he has overcome that. God has comforted us. He's brought his peace. We have peace with God. That's the good news of the gospel. Isn't it amazing? We have a song to sing because our God loves us, because he saved us from our sins. We could sing unendless songs of praise because of what God's done for us today. And then Isaiah, in his song, he sings, Surely God is my salvation. I'll trust and not be afraid. Our kids are memorizing this scripture today. Isn't that amazing? Star's pretty awesome lining things up like that. I hope we all memorize this verse because this really is the theme of Isaiah. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust. He's the God we can trust and I will not be afraid. That's our song. That's the song we sing to our fears. God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. I look at this line. With joy, you will draw waters from the well of salvation. Hallelujah. And if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, if you've never drawn water from that well, I want to encourage you today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He is our salvation. He is your salvation. The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So call upon his name. But for the rest of us who have said yes to Jesus, what does this tell us? It tells us that there is a well. A well that we can come to. And from this well, with joy, we can draw from the waters of salvation. If you ever been to Red Robin, you get the bottomless fries. I'm preaching now, and you can just, they just keep coming and coming and coming, and you can dip them in the ranch dressing and all of that. Guys, that is our salvation. It is a bottomless source of joy to those who will draw from that well each and every day. That's what God has done for us. It's for the weary, it's for the tired, it's for the broken, it's for those who don't know where to turn. He is our salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Let's sing that song today. Let's sing that song this week. The song goes on, verse 4. In that day you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known, check this out, among the nations what Jesus has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Wow, that's incredible. See, it's not enough for us to praise his name in here. We got to go out there and sing some praise. We got to go out there and give some hallelujahs. When God shows up in our life, we can say, praise the Lord, even in our workplace. We want to take this message from here 
to the neighborhood, to the nations. Because great is the Holy One of Israel. He is exalted. And so today we are coming to the table. We're coming to communion. And you can, uh, let's prepare our hearts now, right, as we prepare these elements. But I want to do communion with a little bit of a different mood. Because I think so often we come to this table and it's, a, it's like a sad table. But today I want to remind you that because of this broken body and shed blood of Jesus, we have a reason to celebrate and we have a song to sing. We can with joy draw today from the well of salvation. So as we prepare our hearts, as we celebrate what Jesus has done for us, I want you to just remember two things here. Number one, the two names of Jesus. Jesus is the branch. Big things come from, uh, excuse me, yeah, big things come from small starts. That's the branch. And Jesus is the banner. He's the name we elevate. He's our victory. And that salvation comes right from here. It flows from his broken body and the, shed, the bloodshed on the cross.